You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. My name is Sean Kelly and I will be with you for the next two hours. Um, joining, oh, sorry, thanks to the Celtic Ramblings team for another fine show. Um, the young man does it away on holiday in Queensland, half his luck. Um, in the studio with me tonight or today is um, the A-League stats man, Pete Skeeler. Pete, good morning. Morning, how are you going? Good, mate. Looking forward to another um, man of the match Wingman performance <laughs> from you. Uh, we'll see how we go. Yeah, and also joining us is Robbie Gaspar, former professional footballer, all-round good guy, and the most stunning hair I've had in the, we have in the studio <laughs> true, today. True, so, true. and you can't well, see thanks, that, mate. but it's it's true. Um, Robbie, good morning. Good morning, Sean. How are you? Good to have you on me. board, mate. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. No problem. In two hours, Lenny will be in with the Jazz Show. For those who are championing a bit for your daily dose of jazz, um, that will be on at twelve. Right, on the show, we're going to start off with Peter Rickers. He is with the Girls' Festival of Football, which is just up the road here in Hilton Park. Um, And a great initiative, and we'll have a a talk to him about that particular competition. It's been going on for a few years now, but um, we'll see if the Sam Kerr effect has had anything to play on that one. Um, Then we're going to talk to Chris Lynch. Ten years ago, they were a social side, um, and as of this season, they're now a second division state league side. Mm -hmm. Ten years of rapid rise through the ranks, um, and we'll talk to Chris about their meteoric rise. Then we've got Matthew Dawson, committee member with the Football Supporters Association of Australia, and we'll be talking to him about um, their experiences with the APL and whether or not we think that the fan voice has been heard of, and we'll talk to him about a few things, um, such as did they ever ask us about the Keep Up app, uh, Paramount, (laughs) and a few other things that go on there. But, yeah, look, 
for me, it really is about whether or not we're we're getting heard. Because yep. as much as the APL um, have financial control of the game, the game's owned by the fans. Without the fans, it That's doesn't right. exist. Yep. So, you know, people have got to get that in their heads. It's, you know, without us, there is no competition. And then we're going to uh, finish that out with Dean Bell of Wanneroo. Um, Wanneroo, and I was just doing some research last night, almost consistently in the um, state league since 1963. Ooh. So they've been around for a long time in one way or another. I can remember playing against them when they were Wanneroo British. Yes. So, yeah, I think I played against them the first year they played under that name. Uh, tough, tough, uncompromising side. Not much has changed. <laughs> so that's uh, good. I mean, and Dean's been the president for a while, but they're, they're a good club. They've got lots of different things happening there. So we'll talk to him about them. In the news, obviously can't go past last night's nail-biter. I've had to hook myself up to an ECG because my (laughs) strawberry was doing double time last night. Uh, Oh, no, look at... What is it (laughs) with these last-minute wins and losses and draws? And, you know, I thought first half could have been four, five down. Mm. um, And then, you know, tags back post. And it looks like a tap-in, but as you know, Robbie, that wasn't an easy finish to arrive there at the speed he did and still be able to put that ball in the back of the net. It yeah, took some skill. He's in yep. great form, Tags, this year. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's been great to see him back and scoring goals. Absolutely. And and then Williams comes on and, and bangs in uh, an absolute belter, only to be outdone by Josh Rawlings <laughs> in his, his second debut for the club. But yeah. absolutely, for a defender... The, to hit something that hard on the on the volley from that distance uh, to get that far forward as well, you know, to sort yeah. of, you know, like sort of make his run and keep on running and sort of get in the box and just gamble and you know that gamble paid off. Sounds absolutely, awesome. it was an absolute parlor. And then in the last couple of minutes, you know, opportunity to make it four two. Tags is offside by a couple of mils, yep. and it's not four two. Go down the other end, and I, I've still. I do not know how they got Fergie time out of this. There was only six minutes extra time. Um, in the second minute of extra, extra time, they've they've managed to sneak in an equaliser. And I know we talk about the discipline and everything else, but I just don't think with the clock it should have been there. I don't know how in six minutes of football you get an extra three minutes extra time out yeah. of it. Yeah. Although I do feel he could have got 15 out of it if he <laughs> if wanted he, if to. If he needed to. If I, needed I, I, no, I'm pretty sure he's got a bet on. <laughs> it's, it's the only logical explanation for a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> but positives. Two down to, yep. to get back to actually winning the game and then, yeah, okay, in the last few seconds, throw it. And I think, you know, the, the cameras panned on the stage at the end and he looked disconsolate. But at the same time, I think he was just processing his own emotions so he didn't go in there and kick a hairdryer into someone's head <laughs> um, because that wasn't going to help. Yeah, they they no. did not yeah. need yelling at. They they had done a magnificent job to get to where they were, and then yeah, okay, disappointing in the last few seconds of the of the match, you know. And let's face it, after a hundred minutes of football, who isn't tired? Um, that there was a bit of a brain fade, and I don't know who should have been marking him, but you know, if you were there, Robbie, you <laughs> he wouldn't have scored, would he? <laughs> No. <laughs> no, 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 we're no. Really sort of marketing. But there are other things to celebrate. Oli Sale, uh, much maligned when he, he played his first few games. Absolutely. Um, yep. He has, in the last two, three weeks, really shown you his class and quality, saving the penalty. Yep. Um, you know, and, and we forget about those things. 
Um, and last week he was, I don't know, just putting saves out of nowhere. I just don't know how he did it. Mm. But, yeah, Ollie Sales' turnaround has been great. Tags is in brilliant form. Williams must be one of the, the best um, super subs in the league. Yep. Like yep. Benjamin Button, he just uh, never stops sort of scoring. He comes on. And he's but he's lively. 35. Yeah, yeah but yeah. sort of he's, do- he's doing awesome, I think, as well. Yeah. You know, he, so. He's always been one of my favourite players in the A-League, even before he was with the glory. He was always great to mm. watch. I was, I was happy when we signed him, and um, I'm glad to see he's, he's uh, even at 35 still able to produce yeah. in the last half hour, like like nobody's business. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and to, you know, given his age, he's still very, very quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was... I went through a slight little stat uh, the other day, uh, last night. If we only count goals in the second half, yep. Glory's actually second on the ladder. Wow. Like, not, not, I'm not talking just goals scored. I'm talking in terms of yep. wins, draws, losses. If we ignore the first half and just go, these are the goals in the second half, what would the result? Glory's actually seven wins, four losses, and only Central Coast are higher than them. So maybe we can uh, lobby the APL to only count the second <laughs> half goals. Seeing, seeing as they've changed the way, you know, yeah. so that the wins are Why more not? important than the goal difference, That's maybe it. we can uh, also change it that way. No, let's go with that, Pete. That's, I, think, I like that idea. The first half's just a warm-up. Yeah. And they had uh, that nine minutes of extra time at the end, yeah. so that's uh, yeah. Yeah, four minutes yeah. there. So. Yeah, I know. Look, I think it's, it's interesting. Um, but, you know, the comeback was brilliant. The, the effort, you can't fault the effort of those lads. And I think that's why he just took a moment or two just to, to process his thoughts and emotions and then, you know, what are my positives out of this? And there's, there were lots and lots of positives. I think, I think the only downside, well, one of the only downsides is the fact that the, the boys are now undefeated and four, which is fantastic, but it seems that as soon as they've gone good, the women are now five games Without a win, so... Yeah, but they've got a chance to redeem themselves I, tonight against I, Canberra. I thought they had a chance to redeem themselves against Adelaide last week, but... We've always uh, got a chance. Oh, yeah, we talk yeah. about chances. I mean, yes, last night would have been nice to finish up with a three, um, but, yeah, would you put a bet against Glory being in the finals this year? I never would, until it was mathematically impossible. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, um, you know... Part of the frustration is we've had good results, as we said, undefeated in the last four, but we're still firmly rooted in 11th place just because we were so far behind to start with. So, yeah, I mean, now we're at the point we're in striking distance of going up. We're only one point behind Newcastle, two points. You know, theoretically, a win next week uh, could lift us all the way up to eighth. So, yeah, it's certainly certainly finals are not out of contention for the glory. And also for the... Um, the fan out there. Next week's game is against Brisbane Raw. Yep. Who are coached by? Oh, Zakovich. <laughs> Zakovich and Coiny. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Zakovich. Yeah. And keep him Coiny. I think it's nice to see um, him getting a gig somewhere because he's he is a good coach. And yeah. Yeah. There's there's been no no tales yet of any players at um, Brisbane getting punched out in training. So only a matter of time. Uh, I was going to say. I'm sure it'll come. <laughs> um, blue cards. Robbie, what's your thoughts on blue cards? I don't know. Are we trying to complicate the game a little bit too much? Yeah. Um, I think that's just sort of probably let's keep the red and the yellow. Yep. I think it's worked. Yeah. Um, I think we're just trying to complicate. I think just yeah, keep it nice and simple. That's why a game is the best game in the world because it's nice and simple. And um, I think, yeah, just yeah, from a player's point of view, I'm just sort of happy with the yellow and the red cards and, you know, yep. from a player's point of view. So yep. with the blue cards, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What Do you think is. it's because there's people afraid or there's pressure for the referees not to send off the superstars but whereas if you were to give someone um you know a jack Grealish a blue card he goes off for a couple of minutes his coach can have a word with him de-escalate him and then put him back out 
But then you sort of talk about when he goes off, you know, then he sort of cools down. He's got to warm back up to get back on again. You know, yeah, so, of course. Um, yeah. I just think, yeah, I just think, yeah, players just have to sort of, you know, listen to the referee, respect the referee's decisions. You know, like I think it's worked in the past, you know, the red and the mm. yellow card and going towards a blue card. I think we're yeah. going to sort of... It just complicates yeah, matters, that's, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think sports. then, and we've already talked about the, the influence that referees can have on the game. Um, it then just gives you that avenue to have a little bit more influence on a game. You know, you send off a key defender. Yeah. Um, for, for two minutes, they leave them a defender short and their opposition equalise, then yeah. have has it unduly influenced it? Whereas if he'd got his um, red card or his yellow card, then, you know, we move on and one way or the other. But, yeah. My, uh, my understanding is it's, it's only for referee abuse. Yeah. Uh, and it's already in use in the, like, low levels in, in the UK, like, you know, amateur level. So, yep. I mean, I'm undecided on the subject. The idea of, you know, someone giving the referee a mouthful in the middle of the game and the referee saying, you can sit down for a couple of minutes and then rejoin the game. I've got some merit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can see the see the benefit of that. You know, you don't, ostensibly you don't want to send the guy, off, like, red card him, right, sit out the whole yeah. game. But just, a, as you say, cool off for 10 minutes and mm. then you can get back in. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm ambivalent, this um, word. I'm with Robbie on this one. Don't mess with the game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as is Ange. He's very much saying that there's no point to it. Yeah. Ange Poscoglu. Uh, look, and, and I think some of the things we've introduced haven't made it any better. I don't think VAR has got rid of the controversy around decisions that are made by referees. At least back in the, the bad old days, you had a very fallible man in the middle with a whistle in his mouth who had a millisecond with only one view of the yeah. thing to make a decision. And we just went, yeah, okay crap decision but we'll get on with it or we went yeah brilliant and we got on with it now we stop the game we, we talk about players getting cold we stop the game we wait two minutes while someone goes through multiple angles and I think Kenny Lowe once said that we've taken the decision away from a fallible man in the middle in milliseconds and given it to an even more flawed individual in a room full of monitors with several different angles to come up with a different flawed mistake <laughs> so you know he's right yeah. And that's what's happening. And you look at some of them. The the penalty Glory gave away uh, last night where Sujnyaya had the, the neck brace around the, the defender. Absolute nailed on penalty. Unless you're West Ham playing uh, Man United, <laughs> in which case it's play on. So, you know, consistency is a problem and, and VAR is not consistent. So, yeah. you know, you get a man in a headlock in the box, it's got to be a pen. I would have thought so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, unless he's wearing a hammer shirt. But, <laughs> and I'm not biased at all. No, I am. I'm totally one-eyed, but <laughs> no. All right, so that's that. Um, finally, one thing that's close to your heart, Pete, the shed. I know you, you love your time in there. Um, the Glory FRG ran a um, survey of fans, and the fan group would like to see the shed and the the, the uh, FOTs combined, so the, yep. the the young lads down the front being in there. We are the only team in the league that has an 18-plus rule. Yep. We're, it, even in the same ground, Western Force do not have the same limitations. Yep. It's yep. open to all. And anywhere else in the ground, you can sit next to your six-year-old drinking a beer. Yep. Now, I, I'm not saying we should make it completely, um, you know, family-friendly, mm. but at the same time, I think, you know, uh, those younger boys, those 16 pluses in there is, is not an awful thing. No, I think they'd add to it a lot. Mm. I know some of the gentlemen my age think differently. Keep <laughs> them damn kids away from here. But, you know, <laughs> I think they're the ones standing in the left side. Don't sing. 
Don't, don't, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. But look, well, we I, think, I think it would add to the pageantry of the game. And I think when you go back to the glory days, um, one of the, the big attractions of the, the, the whole match experience at the game was the shed and the noise that it generated and the colours and the flags and the banners. Some of the stuff that we've done over the last few years with the APL is sanitised that out of the game. Yep. And I know the RBB had lots of dramas, but, you know... Um, Let's not just throw the baby out with the bathwater. We've got, to, we've got to keep that. I think the, the songs in the shed, yeah, some of them are a little fruity, but, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. I, I was watching a, a group of kids who none of them would have been any older than 14 in the family stand singing all the songs with all the words. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Think as a kid going watching the glory with the old shed at old Perth Oval, and yeah. hey, there was that many people, and they had to sprinkle on top of the roof. They're trying yeah. to keep it cool in the yeah. in the summertime. Then I'm doing the conga out, uh, sort of, you know, stuff like that. And, just... and I and I will admit to sneaking my 16 year old in there on several occasions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna go to a break, and we'll be back after that break with Peter Rickers, who is involved in the girls' festival of football just up the road here in Hilton Park. So back after these. Oh, don't relax, I want elbows and backs I want to see everybody from behind Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron is a fourth generation family business Bring us about your custom gate and fence projects We can manufacture, install or automate your gates Offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice Let our family look after your family Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron Call us on 9258-6822 Station sponsor listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. Unfortunately, it was talking of last-minute goals again. Australia out in the quarterfinals to South Korea. Um, very disappointing, <laughs> uh, d- disappointing to concede and, and obviously then continue. Um, I quite confidently stated, well, the final is then going to be between either, uh, between South Korea and either Japan or, or Iran because they're yep. the power-hitting teams. And as it turns out, none of those uh, teams made it through to the final. <laughs> Finals tonight, and it's Jordan against Qatar. Uh, Qatar defending champions. Jordan never made the final before, so I don't know if anyone's got a horse in the race who they want to go for. I think Qatar will win, you know, yeah, being the yeah, home yeah. side and you know, having three West Asian sides in the uh, in the semi-finals in the top four. It's and it's nice to see someone outside of uh, Australia, yeah. Japan, South Korea, you know, the the power elites. Yeah, yeah, no, the, the power yeah. triangle, yeah. Yep. So it's great to see that in in that league and I think it shows just how strong the Asian leagues are becoming. Yes, true. Yeah, true. there's a lot of money in there and Saudi Arabia being another one, you know, that's where all the money is and we're, we're, it's not making a difference. The, the quality is shining through and, you know, you don't have to have bagfuls of money to, to be a good player, so. No, exactly. Yeah, so no, it's great. All right, we have joining us on the line now is Peter Rickers, who is involved in the uh, Girls' Festival of Football just up the road here in Hilton Park. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Yes, uh, good morning, Sean, and uh, good morning to listeners. Yeah, great to have you on board. Um, been a coach for a, an awful long time, been involved in all sorts of avenues of football, and I believe the young man sitting opposite me is also someone who blames you for where he got um, in Robbie Gasper. Hey Peter, how are you? Uh, yes, I'm. Uh, I'm very good, Robbie. Uh, great to hear your voice once again. Likewise, likewise. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, so no, it's a pleasure to be here. 
So who is behind this uh, this Festival of Football for Girls? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting group of people, uh, Sean. Basically, it's a community effort. Uh, mm. People such as myself with a, a football background uh, combined with some very, very interested community people that, uh, that kicked off the event last year. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. How long is it going for? I knew there was an event last year which was very successful. Um, this year, there's... What's the interest been like? We talk about the Matildas and the Sam Kerr effect. Has that been noticeable in the registrations for this event? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We um, we weren't quite fully subscribed last year uh, in an event that we, we did as a mid-season event. Uh, it's been decided this year we do it as a pre-season event and we are, we are well and truly oversubscribed at the present moment. Um, as it sits just now, we've uh, we've got 62 teams that are registered for the event uh, on the 16th of March. Um, that basically includes 12 different clubs um, in one way or another, and uh, and about 500 players. So uh, we're still taking expressions of interest for those that are interested, just in case there are any uh, late withdrawals. But as it sits uh, right now, uh, we're fully subscribed. And that, that's phenomenal when you think that the, the junior registrations are only just opening, clubs are really still in their uh, close season and the, the amateur leagues, again, just starting to train. Phenomenal that you've got uh, 62 teams uh, out of 12 clubs already registering an interest. Yeah, look, it, it, it is, I, I, as you mentioned previously, I think uh, part of that flow on, uh, I, I you know, from the Women's World Cup. I think also that, um, uh, as you also mentioned, that the event last year was a great success. Um, those clubs that were involved in, in that initial event uh, basically all come back, some of them with bigger numbers, and, of course, the word spread. Mm. Um, every, everybody at this time of the year, uh, and, and certainly in another, in another month's time, will be looking for pre-season friendly matches. And I think the opportunity to uh, to have kids have plenty of touches on the ball with it, with it being a five-side event um, is a really good opportunity for, for those clubs of getting themselves organised for the new season. No, definitely. So what age groups are, are involved in this competition? Yeah, we've got pretty much the, the full cohort. We've got, uh, we've got under 8s, under 10s, 12s, 14s, 16s and 17s. Wow. So yeah, you cover cover the full range of them, and obviously just purely all girl teams. Yes, all girl teams, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, I mean, it was the, the the initial thought, of course, was that um, as a precursor to the Women's World Cup and the build up here in Australia for the Women's World Cup last year, we'd make it a girls only event, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's just taken off, and uh, the, the support's been absolutely wonderful. So this year's event's been held at uh, Hilton Park, which is uh, Fremantle United's home ground. Uh, is that something you're looking to, to do to move it around the grounds, or do you think this is something that should sit at the Sam Kerr Centre in future years? Uh, well, in fact, it's not, it's not at uh, Hilton Reserve, uh, sure. Ah. It's at Fremantle Oval, which is where we oh, were okay. last year. Oh. Yeah. Um, and that way we've, uh, you know, we've, got, we've got things right in the centre of Fremantle, which worked yeah. so well for us last year. Um, we did discuss it being out at Hilton, but I, I think the uh, the opportunity to bring people into Fremantle and therefore the support from um, you know people like the city of Fremantle and uh, and, and industries and businesses that are associated with Fremantle um, has kept that interest high. So um, 
you know, we're really looking forward to uh, hosting that event right in the middle of town. Yeah, look, and it's a great initiative to bring people into the, the centre of Frio. Um, and also, there's there's plenty to do around there. If you're you know, in between games, you can always dip across to the market. Yeah. <laughs> Which is... Well, look, I'll give, a, I'll give a plug to the markets because they've, um, they've actually been very uh, supportive, quite yeah. obviously, when you, you've got 500 players and... Um, and a significant number of mums and dads and, and grandparents, then uh, either before or after the uh, you know their events finished, hmm. uh, it's a very very simple thing to walk across the road to Fremantle Markets, and we appreciate the support that they've given us as well. So, are there any other big sponsors or um, people that have been backing you? Yeah, sponsors and supporters, uh, Sean. Um, with Fremantle City Soccer Club, have obviously stepped up and, and done an enormous amount of work through uh, Rudy Serbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the as the event coordinator, but the city of Fremantle, uh, the Bendigo Bank, particularly in Fremantle, uh, Harvey Beef, the Fremantle Ports have come on board, uh, as well as the Fremantle Markets, who are supporting our uh, referees at the event, uh, Perth Glory Football Western School Sport uh, WA, yep. and uh, and John Curtin College. So the specialist football at uh, John Curtin will be providing the referees on the day. So um, we, we've had some fantastic support from all of them. Brilliant, yeah, and because the um, Glory's HQ is right there at Fremantle Oval as well, so uh, I imagine that uh, Gareth will be able to sit there in his office overlooking the games, so it'd be good for them as well. Um, well, absolutely, it's a good, yeah. good synergy all round, I think. Oh, definitely. Um, so with with that, there's prizes, obviously, and, and I noticed I, I saw someone framing up a look like a Matilda's shirt. Uh, yes, yeah. So there'll be, uh, my understanding is there'll be prizes for each individual age group. Uh, there'll be medals for each individual age group as we go. Um, basically, the eights, the eights, the tens, the twelves will be in the morning of the 16th. There'll be a, a, a little bit of a break in the middle of the day for lunch. 14s, 16s, 17s playing in the afternoon predominantly. Mm. Um, and all of them are playing for the Lisa Devanna Trophy. So when we, when we combine all of the results across all of the age groups uh, by club, then uh, one of the clubs will uh, will take home that Lisa Devanna trophy. And is Lisa going to be there? Uh, that's a very interesting question, Sean. Um, <laughs> yeah. I can't answer that for a moment. Oh no, because um, she's she's you know obviously one of, one of the, the greatest women footballers we've uh, produced from this state, with, uh, with the exception of one who's probably a little bit better. But mm. um, you know, a great ambassador for women in the game, and, and really had to struggle to get where she was. So it's great to see her recognised. Yeah, look, I, I think, um, again, as, as you've got Robbie there, uh, Lisa was a student of mine as well at, at John Curtin College. And, uh, oh, you know, I mean, what what a career. It's a, it, it's a shame she was probably born just, a, you know, a half a generation too early in many ways. Mm. That, uh, she, she could have, you know, really reaped the benefits of what's happening in women's football worldwide at the moment. No. But then, but, uh, but, but yeah. a well-known name, a well-known yeah, name. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. and people know of her exploits, which is wonderful. But the thing is that the, those pioneering women are what built the women's game, uh, not yeah. just in WA, but you know, um, Australia. Sandra Bretnell, another one. You know, if she was um, a seventeen-year-old Sandra Bretnell now, be you know phenomenal. Um, but you know, unfortunately, this is the things that happen, and we go back through the the greats of of all football. You know, people like Stanley Matthews never really got remunerated the way players do these days. Oh, look, Sean. I mean, yeah, you, you could you could argue the same for men's football. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's in my my memory the uh, the ten pound maximum wage for yeah. professional footballers. That, of course, when it changed, it changed very quickly and enormously. 
Um, but yeah, look, I know Sandra uh, quite well as well, and I think that um, you know if you have a conversation with those people, well, they I, I know that they would love to be out and about right now. Yeah, but very humbling to talk to to someone like Sandra because she's you know such a down to earth person and and completely understands where she fits within the whole. Um, eco structure of football, and you know there has to be pioneers. Well, they do, and uh, you know I think that um, probably unknown in many ways to the 500 players that we'll, we'll have at the event uh, next month, um, that they do owe uh, a debt of gratitude. I think to to the, the female pioneers, not not just in Western Australia, but we've certainly mm. got a few that we could uh, we can hang our hat on. Oh, definitely. Uh, but you know, but female players in the wider sense, mm. when. Um, you know, I, I remember when, you know, a large percentage of the male population didn't really think that women should be playing football. And uh, I think that if we look at where we are now, um, it, it augurs well for where we'll be in the future. Yeah, definitely. Look, I remember there was a time in the UK where women were not allowed to play football. So, um, yeah, it's, it's quite a progression onwards. Um, so... First off, where do people go to, and when do they go to, to watch this spectacle? Well, as I said, it's uh, March 16th. It's pretty much running all day. The gates will be open uh, sometime around 7, 7.30 for the, the uh, games to kick off about 8.30 a.m. in the morning. Um, that, that'll go right the way through till, uh, well, late afternoon, just as the uh, as the sun starts to set. Um, about half past five, six o'clock, it will finish towards the end of the day with those older age groups. So yeah. uh, I'd encourage anybody who wants to pop down. We've, uh, we're going to have 10 five-a-side fields that will be marked on uh, on Fremantle Oval. Um, it'll be a spectacle in itself to see, um, you know, eight, nine or ten matches on the go at any one time. And uh, I think it's going to be a wonderful day. Now, you said before that the expressions of interest are still open. Where do people find them or where do they um, get hold of you? Uh, yes, it's through um, through the website. So if anybody wants to uh, check in with uh, with Fremantle City Football Club as well through Rudy, uh, information has been sent to all clubs previously, so uh, they're all well aware of it. Mm. Um, it, it. It was sent nice and early, so that um, you know even before registrations had commenced, yep. uh, the information was was out there. So uh, I'm sure people would uh, have that information at hand. And uh, feel free to register your interest just in case as anybody drops out. And I noticed that in your Facebook page, which you can also access quite easily, um, yes, that there was um, lots of news around the competition in there. And and you know, if you want to catch up with who's who in the zoo, that's the place to do it. Yeah, it is. And uh, just looking forward to uh, to these twelve clubs all coming together. Uh, as you can imagine, some some of the bigger clubs that have, have shown a real commitment to women's football, girls football, yeah. uh, probably represented across all six age groups. And, and some of the others have, uh, have, have picked, you know, one or two age groups where they know that they can be uh, uh, well, not just successful or successful in nominating a team, but uh, but comfortable in the numbers that they're going to have. And it's also good if you, for someone outside who's um, coming into town to have a look at the game to see a club in their vicinity that's promoting female football because some of these girls don't know where to sign up and don't know who's doing what. And a good opportunity to see what, what's out there and to talk to coaches and players about joining the, their clubs and teams. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, that, that for me is an outcome that if we had uh, somebody that could see for themselves what uh, what can be 
uh, see these girls running around and encourages other young girls to join their local football club, well, that's that's just a fantastic outcome uh, in itself. So, uh, you know, hopefully that'll be the case. And Peter, also that five-a-side format, I think is fantastic. It's short, it's sharp, everyone's getting plenty of touches. Yeah. I think it's going to be sort of a great day. Yeah, we did, the, you know, more than two, two years, more than two years ago now when we, we planned the original event, we, we thought hard and long about, you know, the, the format of the event. We just felt that five-a-side would make things a little bit different, um, that, that if a club didn't have big numbers, they'd only need seven or eight to uh, to be able to nominate a team. Mm. And uh, and I, I think that decision's paid off uh, quite obviously. You know, now um, the games are short and sharp. We're, we're running in half-hour slots. Um as you quite rightly say, there's going to be lots and lots and lots of touches on the ball, lots of goals. So, um, yeah, we think that decision with the five-a-side was the right one to make. And given the, the temperatures that we've had recently, um, you know, the, the shorter format, um, much quicker games, it still gives you a chance to get in the shade, rehydrate in between. Um, as Robbie's already pointed out, in that five-a-side format, there's there's no... No space to hide or be a passenger. You've got to, you've actually got to be playing. So more touches on the ball, more movement. Um, there's so many positives to it. And then at the start of a season, you know, people aren't 90 minute match fresh, and I wouldn't want to be playing yeah. in this heat for 90 minutes straight. You know, just I think it's a, it's a really good format, and I think um, my experience is having played in a five side format at the Sam Kerr Centre, um, playing at the oval's good because you're playing on on natural grass. I just found that the the it's a well it's a fifty fifty mix artificial and grass, but it gets very hot and you know you start to get blisters on your feet quite quickly. Mm. Oh yes, I've uh, yeah been in that environment myself, Sean. It's uh, it's a pretty brutal environment. Yeah, I think we're just, we're just hoping that in, in another month that uh, that the real extremes of our weather have dropped off a little tiny bit. Mm. Um, obviously, we're still like a, a really nice day. Uh, but one that's that's not in the extreme. So um, that'll make it a bit more comfortable for everyone. Also being, oh, in, also yeah. being in Fremantle, you know, hopefully the sea breeze comes in nice yes. and early yeah. and um, yeah. Yeah, cools things down. Yeah, a visit from the doctor. Yeah. 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 Well, if there is one, yeah, if there is one, it'll be there first. So, so um, yeah, with, that, with, that's a good thing. With 500 young women playing, there's, there's a fair chance that if you go down there, you're going to be seeing at least one or two for, uh, future Matildas. Um, and and certainly um, several Perth Glory players in the making. Absolutely, I mean, I uh, uh, for me that's that, that's what it's all about. That um, these girls that are coming in who are who are seven playing in the under eights will be watching some of the more able girls. Those girls have been around a while in the 16s to 17s. It's just going to uh, you know encourage them to to stay involved in the game for an extended period of time. And uh, but we've seen just recently, Sean, with the selections of the the young Matilda squads and the junior Matilda squads, that we've had two or three Western Australians in those squads over the last season or two. Yep. Um, there's absolutely no reason that uh, that we can't have more. Um, the challenge, and I've, I've mentioned this before in radio interviews, the challenge for us is that, that the most recent West Australian girl to be picked for the Matildas um, was Sam, was Sam Kerr, and... And as we know, that's well over ten years ago. Yes. So we are we are well overdue in Western Australia to see some of our girls who have already made those young and junior Matilda squads to to have that opportunity to step up. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, of course, the next generation, the group that's going to come in behind them, uh, will be in part uh, on display on the 16th. 
Absolutely. We've got yeah. plenty there knocking on the door. Hannah Lowry's in, in fine form as, as she's now earned the name Raging Bull. Um, but, you know, <laughs> there's some... Which, you, you know, anyone knows Hannah... <laughs> it's a it's a great it's a great name for her, but she she is a different person on the pitch, um, and yeah, she's she's certainly knocking on the door of, of being a Matilda. Well, look at another as, as Rob will know, another young, young John Curtin, next John Curtin player as well. Um, it's amazing how many games of uh, A League W she's played at, at such a young age. Mm. Um, she she is different. She's different in that she's uh, she's got a fantastic range of pass. Uh, she's a lefty, which mm. sets her sets her apart from from a lot of others as well. So yeah, I, I think those in her supporter group and uh, those that know her well are really pushing for the fact that she may be um, given an opportunity, hopefully sometime soon, to show what she can do at the next level. And also, um, what about Letitia McKenna, who's doing? He's playing at City, um, Melbourne City. She's doing great things as well, and Tian as well. So yeah, 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 yeah. The two of them at the same place. Of course, we've. Uh, we, we've just seen the departure, unfortunately, of Ruby Cuthbert across to, to the Brisbane Lions and um, and Ishkia Brooking across the Western Sydney Wanderers, two two very very able young girls who have made uh, those those national squads at underage. Uh, we wish them well, and uh, yeah, and hopefully they'll they'll just keep making that next step. Yeah, it's hard for for anyone really in this state to break into those sides unless they go over east as well. I think, mm. you know, unless you're in the glory, um, hard to showcase yourself at that level. And I, I know of a couple of people that have gone over east because the the you've only got really the one pathway here. Um, and, you know, sometimes the eyes on those national selectors are based firmly, firmly on the eastern coast of this um, country. So... I can see there's a need for some people to move. Uh, I think it applies to males and females. Uh, mm. I, I think to, to make a step from from our uh, MPL, male and female MPL, to make the step uh, to the next level, uh, when in fact you may be training perhaps twice a week, uh, it, it is in many cases, I think, a step too far. Um, certainly more numbers across the East Coast. Um, the, the, the number of teams that they could put out that would be equivalent and ability to ours is is amazing so just from a numbers game um if we do have uh, young players that are selected at the national level they've done fantastically well uh, because it is difficult but yeah. Uh, yeah we are we are seeing a flow we're seeing a flow uh, from here to there so that uh, people can hopefully make that next step Definitely. Well, Peter, thank you very much for what you and the committee behind this uh, initiative are doing. It's great to see um, a showcase for for young girls and an avenue for young girls and, and a real tangible pathway. Because when you look at the teams, you know, as you said, from eights all the way through to 17s, um, they can see it. And I think that, you know, particularly with the, the number of West Australian girls that are playing in the glory, there really is um, a a tangible pathway for young women in this game. Yes, that they are. There is a fantastic pathway for young women in the game that uh, show commitment and ability. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll discover a few more on the uh, on the sixteenth. I just in, encourage all people that uh, have got an interest in football, even those that don't, come down and have a look on March sixteenth at Fremantle Oval. We'll be there all day. Uh, come down, stick your head in, and uh, and see what's happening. And, and getting some shopping at the market. <laughs> and get some shopping at the market, yeah. All right, mate. Thank you very much for your time, Pete. Appreciate it. Good on you. Thank you. Thanks for your time and uh, cheerio.
All right, Peter Rickers, who's involved in the Girls' Festival of Football, which is coming up in March, and it's just, you know, a fantastic event. Um, great to showcase those girls playing football. Yep, yep. Robbie, you mentioned Letitia McKenna and that. Do you know what a pain it is when I'm updating my website and there's two players with the same last name on the same <laughs> team? Because cause the A-League site, it only says the last name, and I've always got to do check which one of the two it is. So it's, did you double-check your stats on Williams? I have to check, yes, I have. There's, um, <laughs> there's the two Taranto sisters at Western yeah. United and Dos Santos at uh, yeah. Sydney FC, and every time it's like a, it's like this extra step to make sure which one I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, which one. So, yeah, sorry, that's just... First world problem I've got. <laughs> no, no. Uh, good. Uh, in my workplace, there's three Sean Kellys. Is there? Yeah. <laughs> and and two of us spell our names exactly the same. Oh, yeah. And and fortunately, one of us can't spell. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, look, I grew up in a ethnic minority Irish enclave in in England. Yeah. And my doctor's surgery had seven Sean Kellys. My really? my file was covered in dots and stickers and I got rushed to the hospital once and you get told you had your appendix out two years ago. So I can tell you I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh funnily enough I've not encountered any other Peter Skeelers. No, it doesn't no. surprise <laughs> me at all, Pete. There's, there is only one of you. They they broke they broke the mould after oh, you were did, made, yeah. mate. <laughs> And you should have seen what they did to the designer. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we've got a little bit of time before I ring Chris, but um, I think it's interesting. You yourself as a developing young footballer, your uh, journey took you away from Australia. Um, yeah. You know, uh, we've got Joey O'Brien, who played for Mandra last year, has gone over to Melbourne this year. Um, a young lady I, I've known since she was about three or four, Larissa Walsh, um, went over east last year. You know, it's it's an interesting journey and, and for people that young to leave home and then, oh, studio's gone dark. That's oh. good. We might have Computer's a power cut. still on. The lights are still on. Yeah, yeah so. no. And more importantly, the air conditioner's still on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it is something, and, and you've been through this, so you're yeah. probably the best person to talk about it. So I sort of... You go you go into state to play, but you're sort of almost considered a foreigner when you go there. Like yeah. I went to Sydney Olympic. And, you got to start um, again. Yeah, because um, how do you say it? Perth Glory, you know, like they sort of had a really big side, really good side, and I thought I wouldn't sort of get a chance to mm. play first-team football. So I went across to Sydney Olympic, and you don't realise that you're still in the same country, but you're almost like a foreigner when you go there. So yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's tough, but I think it's actually a good stepping stone. You go into Sydney, you know, like sort of Melbourne, yeah. and you sort of you do your time there, and maybe you know play some games, and then maybe go overseas. It makes it a little bit easier for that transition. But, but as so. a youngster going up and and make you know your marks in the in the Premier League here at the time as a, a very young player, um, rocking it and being like the the big fish in a small pond, mm. um, you know, everyone knows who you are. You basically everyone's going, oh, Robbie's going all the way, and then you go over to uh, Sydney or Melbourne, they just look at you and go, yeah, who are you? Yeah, we've had a dozen of you before. That's um, it. And then it's one of those things where you can either try and rest on your laurels and go, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm just do what I do. Or you, you're spurred on by that and go, I'll show you. I'll show you exactly who I am. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I talked to Dino, who, uh, Dilbic, who went to, um, well, he went to Europe. Yeah. And people think it's a, a glamorous lifestyle, living out of hotels, trialling, you know, it is a, a tale of sorrow and misery and hardship <laughs> yeah. to be to become a footballer and to be you know he spent 
you know, years to become an overnight success. Yeah. Um, it's, it really isn't an easy journey, is it? It's like your 10-year apprenticeship you're doing yeah. before you become a professional. Mm. People don't realise all that hard work that goes in the background to become a professional football and um, yeah, you only see the sort of, you know, the game. But, you know, Dino was just a great example. He just never stopped sort of, you know, knocking on that door. And he, he believed in himself. Had yeah. a fantastic career, yeah. you know, to go and play in China, yeah. into playing sort of the UAE um, in Germany, you know, for Gold Coast. Had a yeah. great career, the glory. So, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, then he played in Malaysia as well. So, yeah, Dino's a great example of just keep on knocking on that door, that sort of resilience and persistence. Yeah, it, it, not very many people just fall into it and have it all just laid out before them. Um, and everybody's journey is different. Yeah, you know, I, so I, the one I use is Kevin journey. Keegan, who was, was told as a kid, you're too small, son, you'll never make it. You won't make it to a professional footballer. Not only did he make it to a professional footballer, he made it to be an England player, England captain, England coach, um, won the Ballon d'Or. You know, mm. um, this is for someone who said, no, go away, son. You, you'll never make it. It's like Luka Modric went to yeah. the split. Yep. Wasn't good enough. Went to dinner with Zagreb and the rest yep. is history. So it's just one man's trash is a, sort yep. of another man's trash. All right, so. we're going to go to a breakdown. We'll be back after this with Chris Lynch from East Perth FC. Oswest Fencing and Raw Iron is a fourth-generation family business. Bring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Raw Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Hi, I'm Peter Skeeler. Everyone seems to think I'm the ultimate wingman and full of helpful information. It's true, I am. My passion is trivia and Australian football statistics. Check out aleaguestats.com, my website where you can follow all the stats and results from the men's and women's A-leagues from the beginning of time, or at least 2005 and 2008 respectively. You're listening into the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle, and we appreciate you tuning in. Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Alrighty, I'm just talking about journeys of footballers. Um, our next guest is more involved in the journey of a team and it's hard to believe that 10 years ago um, they transitioned from being a social side to an amateur team and the rest is history. So joining us now is Chris Lynch from East Perth Football Club. Good morning, Chris. How are you? Good morning, Chris. How are you? Good morning, all. Thanks for having me on the show this morning. No, it's great to have you on, mate. Um, I was just going through the history of, of the club and you know, 15 years ago you didn't exist with a social site to start off with um, and then in 2014 you entered the amateur leagues um, playing out of Ashfield um, and it was interesting back in those days you had, you had your, your deadly rivals in Libertines um, who didn't 
transition from being a social side. And for you guys, it's you've never looked back. Yeah, look, it's um, it's it's been a journey. Um, as you said, uh, all those years ago, we started um, in a social, just a social league, and um, just as a group to get together and um, just play some football. Um, obviously, over time, we've um, we've been growing, and um, obviously, the Irish um, connection helps. We've always got new players coming, and then uh, to to enter into the amateur leagues was um was sort of our first step and. We're very lucky to have um, Ashfield support us in that. Um, they were unbelievable. They shared our ground and opened up their club for us. So really very grateful for that. And, um, yeah, that was just the start of it. So it progressed well. And, um, yeah, 10 years later, we're, um, we're somewhere where we'd never expected to be. And um, it's just sort of all happened and just came upon us. So something we're looking forward to this year, um, yeah. playing Saturdays. Uh, state competition it's going to be um, a new experience and uh, one we're really looking forward to and playing against Ashfield for what it's worth well we'll, we'll come up on that <laughs> shortly I think that's where we'll, we'll, we'll end this journey but um, just starting off in those formative years under Jonathan Tacey who was your inaugural um, coach uh, Division 5 finished first in 14 15 uh, Division 4 finished first 16 Division three finished first. Then, then you had a couple of lean years in Division two, and I think you're in Division two for three years or so. Um, and I think you unthroned John as the coach and replaced him and finished third in the league. But um, you know, then normal normal service was resumed, and you've got through Division two, Division one, and then last year finished second in the Premier League, um, and with the option to to come up. So you know it's it's been been a ride. You say you never expected it, but you know there was an expectation in those early years that you would progress through those leagues, um, winning it, winning promotion each year. So I think the very very ambitious club from day one. Yeah, that's it. And um, from the moment we entered into the amateurs, um, as you said, we did win Division Five, Four, Three. We had a few years in um, Division Two, uh, and. I think Jonathan Tacey was a, a huge part of the club and a huge success to get us to Division 2. And then, yeah, we, we sort of just balanced out a little and um, sort of changed our approach, um, got a couple of new guys in. And um, I think we were in Division 2 for three years. Then we got up through um, second place, Yeah, I think. I think no, you, you're in there four years and you won. In the fourth year, you won, oh, yeah. you won the league. Yeah. 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 And then uh, I think it was Division 1, we got up through um, the playoffs, second yeah. in the playoffs, yeah, yeah. because um, the COVID years and yeah, a big a big strain on WA football. Really, um, a lot of teams um, sort of just disappeared, and um, obviously there was no new players coming. And so we we're fortunate enough to get to get up. But look, I think we've earned um, earned our place. We've, we've we're always competitive. We're always finishing top top four. Or push, pushing for the league. Never finished below um, fifth, mate. That's that's a, yeah. a record in itself. Yeah, and like even last year in the prem, I think two years ago we we lost out on the last day of the season. Yep. Uh, Maddington um, won by I think it was seven seven two they won on the final day of the season. Yeah. Um, so they they got up that year, and then last year we lost out in goal difference. Like, which yeah it was. It was pretty hard to take, you know. Um, 
thought our, our guys were, were excellent, but fair play to Emerald. Um, I think both teams deserved it. Um, but yeah, it's just hard one to take losing out in goal difference. So, yeah. But as you can see, I think we still earned our, our, our right to, um, to go into the playoffs. Oh, without um, doubt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was something we discussed as a committee and said, um, to progress, yeah, I think we should all just um, give it a go. And if you don't, if you don't try these things, you you, you don't know what's going to happen, you know. So hmm. you've, you've got to take the opportunities while they're there. And and you've mentioned the Irish connection. Obviously, you, you've got um, you know every year there's a a plane load of farm fresh patties that we're waiting for you to pick the best out of them. But um, you know. What that does underplay is, is the the importance of the Irish within the local football community. You talked about yourselves. We spoke earlier of Libertines, but also Emerald. Um, you know, there are a lot of clubs where the Irish connection is. Shamrock have been around for years uh, and very strong Irish connections. And I think you know the Irish have had a massive Im- influence on the. Uh, the leagues over the years, you know, um, a number of players have excelled in the in the Premier League as well. Yeah, hundred percent, and that's something. Um, look, we try and pride ourselves on uh, being open for everyone, but um, obviously, with that Irish connection, we do we do get a lot of the Irish coming, and, and I think it's um, it's good for us and it's good for them because we can give them the opportunity to get settled, to fall in, help them get work, and basically play football and start a new friendship with everyone. Yeah, um, yeah so it, it's been great. Obviously, with ourselves in Emerald, it's always been a battle with players and um, it's always been a healthy competition. So we're hoping this year by stepping up on Saturday, we can just offer a bit more competitive football to, to the Irish here. Um, probably not going to be very liked for this, but obviously, Charmar Shamrock Rovers. Yeah. We'll not really so much as an Irish club anymore. We no, would say. I would agree. It's been it's been diluted since the amalgamation. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, for us, we try and pride ourselves as we want to be the biggest Irish club in Perth. You know, we want we want to give the people the Irish people somewhere to come and play, and um, yeah, we want to create that community feel. Well, I the other thing is, and and you you go back through it. Um, through all clubs, and, and my experience as a, as a migrant to this country was I arrived in the country, other than my sister-in-law and her family, um, we, we knew no one here. One of the first things I did was join Forestfield United, and from that I ended up with um, friends, I ended up with a social life, I ended up with um, people who could get me into jobs, but you know, there, there were also people that were, were able to expand my social um, experience and also make that transition from living in England to living in Australia that much more comfortable. And, you know, for you guys, there's a lot of guys who come out as tradies who who don't have families, who have no other supports, and I think it's vitally important they get involved in a club like yours. Mm. Yeah, and couldn't agree more. I think uh, even myself when we came, when I came over, um, just to follow him with a, a football team, and you instantly gain 20 to 30 friends by being in that group, by training with them, by playing games. You get the social aspect, and as I said, people people support you. Um, if you need to work, you get your work, um, housing, accommodation. So we do, we do try and pride ourselves in looking after our players, you know, mm. um, and people that just come. I, I think oh. this year it's um, 
all clubs are a community hub, and I think it's important. Like you said, if you've got a single man comes out, he's got nowhere to go. You've got a couple of guys living in the share house who go, hey, we've got a room. Um, then you've got a lift to work. There's so many good things about it. You know, um, you've got some drinking buddies. You've got, you know, links to everything, links to the community, and I think it's, it's massive. Um, now, we talked about those, those links and those people, some of the people that are involved in your club, and I can remember um, Gary Morell, a uh, big, big part of the, the start of the club, went through um, an awful time that you wouldn't wish on anyone. Um, how is Gary these days? Yeah, look, um, Gary Morell is an inspirational inspirational man. He, he started the club um, all those years ago, and yeah. um, people that's not aware, he was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago. He was. Um, and uh, he is putting up one hell of a fight. Um, he, he's doing good, as good can be. Um, he's still involved in the club. He loves getting down, takes the photos, videos, and he's always he's always around the club. Yeah. Everyone is very well loved. And, um, yeah, Gary just can't speak highly enough. We, we should see if he's up for a toying cost on that, on that very first State League game, mate. It'd be great to have him out there tossing the coin on, day, on that match day. I'll, I'll talk to Phil. Yeah, because um, Phil actually has touched base, and and this is something um, when when the fixtures came out, um, I don't think it, we could have rid it any better. Ash yeah. away first first game of the season, and um, yeah, we're, <laughs> it brought a smile to my face just seeing it and seeing how far we've came. Yeah. Obviously, Bill have a lot of time. Bill's been been uh, amazing for us. There's Phil, everyone at Ashfield. So we're just we're all delighted with the draw. We're delighted to and, get and down. Oddly enough. So was Ashfield, um, brought a smile to our faces. And I think, you know, like other clubs that we've given the leg up to, such as uh, Bunbury and Forestfield, that at some point you'll come back and thank us by thrashing us. But, you know, <laughs> um, it's, it's how very Ashfield of us. But it's it's an important celebration. I think it, it's something that, you know, shouldn't be missed, that, you know, clubs have to start somewhere. And if we're about the betterment of the game, this is this is what this is about. And, you know, you guys came in on the mission, um, You've fulfilled that, but now you've also, when you come up into Divi Two, you've you've got, as you've already mentioned, um, Shamrock Caramar, which is is going to be a feudal game, whether or not you, yeah you like it, it's going to be, um, and then you've also got the history that you've developed with um, Calamunda White Eagles. So there's, you know, you've already got three rivalries now in in a league that you've only just entered, <laughs> uh, which says a lot about you as a club. Yeah, look. Um, there's nothing that beats a good um, good rivalry or a good um, a good fixture. Um, ourselves in Maddington or Calamunda City mm. obviously had the rivalry, and um, the games have been very feisty, but they've been played good spirits, shaking hands after, and I think that's what we always like. We'll respect everyone, we fear no one. Mm. Um, we'll, we'll give a good battle and we'll shake hands, you know. And I think that's what it's all about at the end of the day. So. No, look, we're we're delighted to um be getting a chance to compete at this level. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we're just looking forward to every game, really. Oh, look, I think it's what makes this game. There's you know rivalry is is part of it, and I I say this quite often. You know, for for the ninety minutes the match is on, I'm going to hate you. I'm going to hate your very being. But afterwards, game's over. We're all back in as as brothers and talk about the fight and the battle and, and enjoy each other's company and I think that's how that's the game good, should yeah. be no call to give them once you cross that line and then once you you've, you go back into off the field of dreams you're back into your normal life and working together 
And and in that spirit, you know, I think um, the back of the Ashfield shirt still has a little shamrock on the collar. So, and that was a, a testament to you guys when when uh, you were with us. Yeah. So, as I said it's just something we're, um, we're we're delighted to be involved in this year. I think um, it, it it's been a challenge for myself and all our non uh, non playing members, volunteers. A lot of stuff to go get our heads around, mm. paperwork and stuff like that, and just complying with everything but um we've got there and um yeah but you yeah. i mean you've grown from being a social side to now being um or going through an am- being an amateur team to now being a state league uh side but you've also got um women's and and junior teams playing that's correct yeah so last year we've um we started our very first women's team and they did awesome they won their um Metro League. Um, so this year, I'm, I'm actually pushing them up into the amateurs, and they they themselves will be competing in the women's night series. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, I've also started another women's team, so more of a, a metro social team for the for the new people that want to come and just socialise. So we have two levels for them, and then on Saturdays we got a, a little uh, soccer stars kids kids camp from three to eight. Yeah, and um, obviously in the future we'll. We've got our under 18s this year, which is um, which has been great. Um, hopefully, we can start under 16s, 14s, and start really pushing on from there. Then, mm. no, look, it's it's phenomenal what you guys have done in the 10 years that you've been in in the competition and as a club, you've grown. Obviously, started off at Ashfield. You spent some time at Inglewood, and now you're you've got your own ground at Cabrini Park in Marangaroo. So, you know, hopefully, you're going to make that your home and develop that ground. So, you know, the future is is very bright. Yeah, correct. And um, we've got Kirbini and we're also um, using Hudson Park in Marangaroo also yeah. um, for the Saturday games, just better facilities. So hopefully we can come to an agreement and um, either upgrade Kirbini to suit or get Hudson full time. Yeah. But um, yeah, creating a home has been huge for us um, after that move from Englewood. It allowed us to start um, a men's metro team and the women's team and the kids, something we couldn't do when we're ground sharing. Yep. So just by um, getting our own place, we the club can really grow and expand and it's something we're all uh, excited to see. All, Absolutely. Everyone's starting to have their young kids and the kids are coming to our soccer camps and stuff like that. Yep. So, yeah, it's just great to see. Now... Great to, to see that on the day one you're playing against Ashfield in Division 2. Um, be brilliant to see you guys um, have another rise up through through the ranks. Um, but I did notice that you spent, what we say, four years in Division 2. So maybe that's your, the number two is the one that you stick <laughs> on um, for a little while. be nice to see you get to Division 1 in the next four or five years. Yeah, look, I think um, the first year it's just about... Um, Staying in the league, uh, consoling ourselves, and uh, and sort of start building from there. You know, Cause, yeah. um, it is difficult. We're we're at a severe disadvantage. We're only going ten years. All our clubs have been going forty, fifties, sixties, hundreds, and they have they have that backing behind them. They have sponsors for years, a bit more money and stuff um, to help run the club. So, yeah, look, I think the first year, it's, um, if we can stay in and compete, we'll be very happy, and then we can start building from there and. Hopefully, then we can start making a push. No, oh, look, there's plenty of teams that have come in and, and shone. You know, uh, Junelup City came in and just went straight through. Um, Grellup came up and, and accelerated through. Um, last year's uh, site, new side was Calamunda, who finished third in a very competitive league. So, you know, um, 
it's all there for you. It's um, it's a very different league. It's a very tough competition. And thanks to people like yourselves and Kalamunda and Gwellup, the second division's just got stronger and stronger. So, you know, it's a, the state league is a very tough competition. And each year it grows, it's just getting tougher. It is. And it's, look, it's a credit to WA football. I think um, every club should be pushing to be the best they can. I think um, the promotion, playoff, relegations and stuff, it's it's what football's about, about moving up and down leagues. You know, if yeah. if we get relegated this year, it doesn't matter. At least we've tried and we can go again, we can push again. Whatever happens, we're just going to enjoy the ride. As I said, I think it's very competitive. Um, even the Sunday Prem, the Sunday Amateur Prem, really competitive league. And yeah, um, yeah so like it's, it's just great for WA football, the fact that we have that pyramid system and we can move up and down and compete against all our teams. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's good. I think it's good for WA football to see us going up and um, more Sunday teams pushing themselves, you know. Mm, absolutely. All right, Chris, look, thank you very much for your time. Best of luck in the night series, and I look forward to touching base with you guys on the first day of the, the State League season. Yeah, I look forward to it too. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure yeah. as always. You're welcome. And yeah, I look forward to catching up. Thanks, mate. See ya. Thank you. Bye-bye. Chris Lynch um, from EPFC, obviously good, a bit of history there. Good to see there. a team rising up through the yes. through the table like that. What an amazing oh, yeah. story! But yeah. but not only that, such a, a good bunch of guys, you know. And in the early days, people like Gary Morrell, who was one of the, the founders of that club, um, instrumental in in setting up Jonathan Tacey, who I still see around the town, involved in his uh, junior football, is um, you know their their first coach, just nice people. Yeah. Yeah, and looking forward to, to playing against them. <laughs> yes. No, it'd be great, great fun. I think we don't realise the importance of having these clubs, you know, for people coming into, you know, the state or the I've country. I've said it time and, and time again. Yeah, these, particularly, so in a, particularly in a state that has so many migrants coming in, this is, and it doesn't matter whether it's a soccer club or a cricket club yeah. or anything, but the club is the community hub, mm. and this is where you connect with the That's community and, you know, you, you develop friendships outside of your family group, and it's, yeah, it's, it, it's huge. And that's why clubs should never fail and should be encouraged and funded by the, by the state government yep. because they do so much good work around the place. All right, we're going to go to a break. We'll be back after this with Matt Dawson, who is with the ASAA, Australian Supporters... Uh, sorry. FSAA? There's the one. You know you know you better than me, Pete. No, I'm just reading it off you the website. You should be the host, here. mate. You should be the host. <laughs> All right, we're back after these. Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www.futsal.com futsalwa.org.au You're listening to Community Radio, powered by passionate football volunteers just like myself. You can appreciate the entertainment by becoming a station member. Hi, I'm Phil Kelly, Chair of the Football West Men's State League Standing Committee. Listen in next for Western Australian local football news. 
You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. All right, and we're back in the room now. We were talking earlier on about um, the, the fans of the game and, you know, what the the game is about the fans and i think sometimes people forget that mm-hmm. and uh, our next guest is someone who's very much aware of what the supporters of football around australia do and what they care about in matt dawson who is with the um fsaa the football supporters association of australia matt good morning how are you good morning guys Good. Um, just a, a little bit about the FSAA. How long have you guys been around? Yeah, look, officially we've been around for about a, a year or so now. Um, since kind of coming together, um, you know, with the idea in late 2022 and then officially formed in, in early 2023. And you're an independent body, so they're um, unlike the, the uh, fan representative groups, which were uh, an APL initiative driven by or run by clubs, you are completely separate to any of, of that machinery? Yeah, that's, that's correct. So, um, you know, we look to represent uh, football fans from across the country, whether that's fans of, of the A-Leagues or, or fans of their local NPL, fans of, of their local grassroots, or even just Australian football fans of football worldwide. Um, as you said, with, with no official kind of um, connection or, or anything to the APL or any other um, organisation, completely independent, run mm-hmm. by the fans and, and for the fans across the country. Absolutely. No, it's, it's a very good initiative because then there's no one can, can silence you. Um, how is your relationship with the APL? Do they open their doors to you? Do they do they listen? Yeah, look, they definitely do. Um, I think, you know, truth be told that obviously the timing of when we, we first uh, formed as an organisation, the, the timing of that was, was around a, a decision and an announcement by the APL regarding the, the centralised um, grand finals back yep. in the day to Sydney. Yeah. Um, and so following that, you know, we, we initiated a lot of conversation and, 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 you know, credit to Denny Townsend at the time for having a number of meetings with us to talk about not only that decision, but about, um, you know, the, the, the connection between fans and the governing body, um, you know, more generally. So, yeah, we had a number of meetings with, with Denny back in the time. Um, since Denny's left, we haven't um, quite yet had any... Any meetings with the new leadership that look forward to kind of establishing some good communication lines with them and, and moving into the future with, yeah, you know, whichever leadership is there at the time. Yeah, and I think when you look through it, um, a combination of, of the media and the APL, there's, there's certainly been some demonisation of the fans and fan groups, um, and I'm t- particularly active fans who seem to, to have more and more restrictions put upon them. Is that one of the things that you're concerned about? Yeah, look, definitely. I think, you know, as you touched on there, active fans are obviously a, a very unique part of our, our game and our code and something that, you know, our sport has, um, at least in Australia, our sport has over any other um, code. So the active supporter base and, like you said, you know, the unfortunate demonisation, particularly by segments of the media, um, but then also, you know, by segments of, of all parts of our life. You know, we saw the, the recent... Um, well, not so recent now, but the, the news in, in Adelaide where, um, you know, a, a, a premature announcement came out to ban uh, Melbourne Victory supporters from Adelaide, which eventually got overturned, which is great. But, mm. you know, that was just kind of the latest in a, you know, an ongoing um, you know, system of, as you said, demonisation and you know, criticism of what we think is one of the most, you know, vibrant and exciting parts of our, our sport. 
Well, I was talking with um, studio guests uh, before the show and part of the, the NSL and glory experience was the shed. And, yep. you know, that, that shed back in, in those days actually transformed um, the Australian supporters. They'd been active fans, but I think the, the, just, the glory took it to a, a new level. And that also became very much an important dynamic of the game. And then over the years, you know, the Cove, the RBB, they've all kind of risen to to that standard and and made things their own. But that's now become part of the entertainment and the pageantry of the game. Yeah, look, 100%, as you said, you know, the entertainment side of of active support, I think, is is something that, um, yeah, we we can't overlook. And, And while... You know, the majority of our supporters do go to, to watch games and to watch the action on the field. Um, like you said, the, the entertainment provided at, at, at both ends, ideally, is, um, is something second to none and, and is definitely something that gets people going back. And obviously, we, you know, particularly when we often get people going along to one-off games, whether they be derbies or other big clashes, and, and just hearing that, that noise and that passion and that... Entertainment at both ends is, is something that um, you know, gets people coming back and definitely something that, you know, from the FSAA perspective, we'd like to see you know, really retained and really celebrated as part of our game. Absolutely. I think the, the fans add so much dynamic, not just to the fans, but also the players. I can remember when I was, we went to the um, Glory Final over in Brisbane and every time Brisbane advanced up the pitch, you could actually feel this wall of noise travel with them as the fans got engaged in, in what was happening on the park. Um, and Robbie, you've been a player. What, what does that feel like when you're a player and you can you know, hear and feel the, the emotion in, in the ground? It gives you that buzz, you know, like I when I felt when I was playing in Indonesia, then you sort of, yeah. you know, the fans and one of the reasons why I stayed there for so long because of the passion of the fans and how they're singing and they're dancing. And that's what's different about mm. our sport compared yep. to all the other sports and um, that fan experience. And, um, you know, I think, you know, like we sort of got to work with, you know, like I think, you know, the sporters sometimes, I think we got to work with authorities for them to understand what how our game is, you know, yeah. like how it's how how we're different to say Aussie rules where they sort of sit down yeah. or rugby league or or rugby union, you know, we sing, we dance, we chant, you know, like there's banners up and and so forth. So and then with the venues, we we've also as fan groups we've got to engage. I know. Look, I, I'll point of disclosure. I'm a member of the. Uh, Perth Glory FRG, but we're doing a lot of work with HBF around banners and other things that happening with the active group because the the stadium rules don't allow banners over certain sizes. So we you know we're, we're negotiating with them how how that happens because they don't understand how important it is. And then also around the active zones where and I know one one of the games we had there were non-active fans who were sat in seats surrounded by people who wanted to stand up and shout and wave flags who were then complaining to the uh, ground marshals who were then telling these people in front of them to sit down. And, of course, that went the way of the pair. Yeah, no, look, I think 100%. Uh, as you said, there's things like having uh, yeah, banners in our, in our uh, grounds that um, you know, are something that we all celebrate. And I think, you know, you look around the world, you know, I was recently... Over in the UK late last year in October and, and you know, went to the Socceroos game at yep. Wembley and, and looking around and, and just seeing all of the banners, not only, you know, some great Australian banners and, you know, shout out to people with, you know, banners for Wollongong Wolves and South Melbourne, um, you know, some great old NSL names there and 
seeing those banners at Wembley, but then all of the, you know, the English banners with everyone's, you know, hometown and home football club. And, you know, it's great things like that. I think, as you said, it's important that, um, you know, that supporters kind of try to work with clubs and with, with you know, venue authorities to, you know, work through those. Obviously, some people have, you know, some concerns about certain parts of them, but I think these things are done, you know, maturely. Um, yeah. And, you know, these can be be managed and again just add another layer to the unique and i suppose that that adds in other things i mean there's, there's a, an over emphasis on flares i don't think other than maybe two or three occasions that i've ever seen flares at, at a glory game but you know i haven't worn any since the 70s because they were a terrible fashion disaster but um you know there's something that don't belong in the game. They they do create risk for people, um, and I'm I'm not a fan. Although having said that, the one of the feedback things we gave Glory was about the pre-match entertainment, and they had flags, uh, uh, flares, and fireworks mm. um, leading up to the game, which was was in the right place. So you know, time and place for everything. But I don't think fans throwing flares around is is a healthy thing. One hundred percent agree. I think yeah. You know, there can be a time and place, as you said. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think at a time when they're not done safely and, and, and when people are, you know, admittedly losing the high, moral high ground and throwing them around, then, you know, flares and other, you know, items that are just dangerous for other fans and dangerous for players. And I think, you know, we've seen some of that, unfortunately, in the last 12 months in our country. And, Look, there's always a small minority of people that will ruin it for everybody. Mm. You know, I was uh, an active fan in the 70s back in the UK when Margaret Thatcher demonised football supporters and we weren't allowed to go to Europe for years. Um, And it's been used as a political tool. And I think, you know, in some ways it happens in this country. Um, I've seen lots of media reports about um, fights in the rugby and certainly in in the AFL games and, and especially around Collingwood and other clubs. But it gets like two lines. Um, you know, there was 50 people involved in the fight and, and three arrests. Then you get, there was recently... Uh, an issue between, I think, Victory and Sydney. And all of a sudden, it's half a page, and there were no arrests and no one was injured, but yeah. yet it was made very, very public that football hooligans are putting all our, our lives at risk. And I, the, I don't know how we address the media around that, but they they do love to, to have a media beat up around football. Yeah, look, 100%. I think we'd be naive if we didn't acknowledge the uh, some of the commercial relationships between a lot of our mainstream media and, and some of the other codes. And, you know, I'd hate to suggest that that may uh, influence their reporting styles, but the, the commercial relationships are definitely there. But I think, as you said, you know, it's up to us as, as football supporters to, to, you know, I think just keep doing the right thing and, uh, and trying to do everything to not give these media an opportunity or an outlet to try to demonise us further. Media is always going to, do their thing. They're always going to take things out of context. You know, I remember seeing after the uh, the Sydney derby um, last year in Sydney, you know, a, a story on, on local news where they, they zoomed in on a one single bottle of Corona sitting on the in the grass, and, and that was their you know um, insight to the you know the, the fights and the rivalry that occurred between fans after the game, and you know it's that side of things that. At the end of the day, they're going to keep trying to, to demonise those things. But as fans, it's up to us to, to you know, keep bringing that atmosphere, keep bringing that energy, and keep bringing that lively you know, atmosphere. But uh, while making sure you know, off the pitch we're still 
but doing the right things and not giving the media an excuse to try to, to make a storm in the teacup. Oh, no, look, and I think the majority of games I've been to, even in the days when I was in the shed, um, we had some people in there wearing opposition colours who, apart from a, a bit of cheeky banter, um, there was nothing else going on. And I think that's uniquely Australian that, you know, we can we can be in the midst of, of those people. And look, myself, my son and a mate, stood in the middle of a, a pub in Brisbane singing glory songs surrounded by, by nothing but Brisbane supporters with the security guard shaking his head. But, you know, <laughs> it's all part of that banter that you have with, with the opposition and it was it was good fun. Oh, look, the banter and, you know, to bring in there another story from when I was over in the UK and obviously the UK is, you know, um, insanely strict with the separation of home and away. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, you can't can't wear colours in the wrong crowd and, and, you know, the fences are up. And so, you know, the day at Wembley, the Australian supporters were in the corner, fenced off from the British supporters and, and you couldn't cross over. Four days later, Australia played New Zealand at Brentford and and the security guards were shocked when, when the Aussie supporters and the Kiwi supporters were in the pub together. The friendly dancer, as you said, and no, no shortage of that, no doubt. But, you know, at the end of the day, people are there for football. And I think, you know, whether that's on that platform overseas or, or whether it is in our local ground, you know, we see time and time again. I think even, you know, during the recent Unite round in Sydney, there were scenes particularly of, of some of the A-League women's supporters all coming together, all in the same pub, supporting each other's teams. And, and there's the game. And, and, you know, I'm not naive. That doesn't happen necessarily across the men's game in Australia. But, um, yeah. you know, coming together and, and the delineation between banter and and giving each other, you know, some stick. Yeah. But then, you know, having a beer and getting on and celebrating our, our great sport afterwards is, is uh, what we like to see and what, you know, for 99% of time is what we do see. And, and what are your thoughts on the Unite round? I mean, obviously, it was a, a compromise to... Um, stop the, the finals being held in Sydney. Um, I think from a, um, a media perspective not really sold that well and, and not really attended that well in the very first one. But it has lots of potential. And I was talking to um, someone I know went over to the Unite Round and, and one of the things they found the, the most appealing was that they'd been able to watch the Glory uh, playing earlier on in the day and then they united with uh, City fans, Adelaide fans, Brisbane fans and there was clubs from all over the country who all went to the victory game and supported whoever they were playing. So I think it was just great that, that all these fans get together and, and enjoy it. And then after that, with the victory fans, they've all gone and watched the Australian game. So, you know, yes, while we, we have all this banter going on, there's there's a lot of camaraderie between those fan groups. Oh, look, I think you nailed it right there, you know, we're not going to stand there and say that the, the crowd attendances for this first year were great. And, you know, I'd be interested to hear the ATL's thoughts on that. But, um, you know, it was you know, essentially done after the season had started and kind of, you know, to an extent rushed in, mm. you know, due to reasons with the grand final. But like you said, for mine, um, you know, it's a great concept that you know, if it's uh, integrated properly into our, into our season, you know, obviously, you know, some cities are crying out for the ability for it to rotate around, which would also be great. Yeah. Um, but the ability to come together, you know, celebrate football and watch a lot of football. And as time goes on, I'd love to even see, you know, some national second tier games coinciding with that and, you know, maybe some, 
some, you know, Junior Matildas or Power Roads, some other things that, yeah. you know, mm. there I say, the Festival of Football, but trying to bring together and showing that our, our sport is something, you know, that's there. And, and by adding in some of those national teams, it's also something that yeah. you know, we're not just copying some of these other codes. Some of these other codes can't boast the, you know, the national teams and the exposure on an international scale. That, no, I that agree. Can, so. But I think also, like, really... Next year's Unite round should be already known. The date for it should be being advertised now. And that through the clubs, there should be a, a package available for someone going over so that when you travel over as, you know, I'll use Glory as the example, we go over with the Glory. There's also some events for those people who buy into that package to go to a Glory training session or to have um, a Q&A with the coach or whatever. But there, there needs to be some things that they do um, and the hotel packages and et cetera. And then also the, the game pass should be, um, you know, a little bit more flexible than just having to buy a ticket for every single game because that's going to cost you a fortune. Yeah. I think from a stadium perspective, you'd rather have... Um, a stadium full with people paying less than what is normal normal ticket price because you're going to use the concessions, you're going to be buying stuff. And there should also be some some Unite Round memorabilia. Um, and I, you know, I'm not a big fan of the, um, the the scarves with two clubs on them because I would, I would hate to have a, 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 glory, sh- a glory flag or sh- a scarf with victory on it. But... Um, or Brisbane, um, but you know, to have we can we can get you a glory scarf with the Wollongong Wolves. I've got one with just glory, and no, actually, Wollongong Wolves, I don't mind. I, they're they're one of the the, the um, sure NSL clubs that, I like. That, that sort of finals uh, when we. I know yeah, we them. yeah we lost that one. Yeah, Matt Horsley was was a, a great player, and I I've got nothing against the Wolves. They were a great side, but um, you know, I, no Albanian gypsies. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, look from from a, a fan perspective, I think you know a glory sh- uh, scarf with or shirt with a unite badge on it or something. You know, so you've got something for your trip, and, and very much like the the Perth shed do or glory shed do, they do the um, tour of duty. You know, th- there's lots of things you can tie into that with badges and hat pins and other things that you know market the unite round. From my perspective, I think the marketing of it was was an absolute travesty. Yeah, look, uh, agreed. I think, you know, like we said, I think in, in future years, I agree. I think if they can uh, announce things a lot earlier and people yeah. can plan and, you know, no one loves anything more in football than an away day and, and being able to plan that ahead, particularly during those summer months and, and getting away for trips. Yeah. Um, yeah, love the idea of doing passes. And, and then I think, as you said, it's some of those money can't buy experiences that, let's face it, don't really cost a lot. You know, bringing no. along... You know, you travel from Perth to Sydney, then you probably deserve it, you know, to come into the first half an hour of a training session and, you know, and, and, and see your team that you've travelled across the country for you know, in the flesh. And, and mm. those things, I think, is something that, you know, again, would be great, you know, addition in that. Um, and then, yeah, trying to have some celebration of football across, you know, whatever yeah. the packages are, I think more packages, like you said, rather than just, and this one is you locating the game in Sydney, but running it like every other game. Yeah. What value adds can we add into the competition? As you said, there's you know the um, the rush was so that <clears throat> they they brought it in too late, and then one of the the narratives we had from Glory fans was, well, we lost a home game for that. 
Whereas if it was from the season, from the very start of the season, there was no home game attached to it. It was just you are playing over there, um, and that's it. And then the other thing is that the the backroom staff, the media teams, and everything else weren't travelling with them. And I'd like nothing better than you know um, George the Glory Gorilla to go across <laughs> with them. And, and no, but on the very last match of that of the round or whatever, to have a mascot race or something like that because they're they're just good fun, you know. Um, but there's lots, lots of things that we could put in place that we just make it a spectacle rather than just a oh look it was a, it was a half-assed last-minute thought. And I think you know we we build it into being something, and maybe ten years from now they'll be playing in front of full stadiums with people who are wholly and solely engaged. Yeah, look, one hundred percent. I think all of these ideas. Now, hopefully, the ACL is in the background there, planning them away and, and yeah. trying to not you know overcomplicate things too many. Commercial deal for it, but putting in place some of these things and announcing them early mm. so that you know the fans can do what they do and be fans, and, yeah, and and come together and celebrate the game. And like you said, you know, and I agree. I think if it, if United Round is done is done well, uh, it could be the catalyst to really bring you know, a lot of those particularly more casual fans from the host city um, mm. out to see neutral games. You know, and 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 in addition to fans that are travelling for it. You combine all of that, and hopefully we're getting more people at these games than even some of our regular season games. Yeah, no, 100% that one. I think that's how it should be. But I also think that, you know... um, Starting from the from the very start, you know, as a fan representative group, um, do you have much to do with the the FRGs around the country? Sorry, I didn't pick that one. Do you have much to do with the fan representative groups around the country? Yeah, look, we, we do. So, um, you know, we were formed probably about three, four months prior to the FRGs being announced. Mm-hmm. So, um, on our committee, we have members who are also part of FRGs at the host clubs, yep. as well as then a lot of people who aren't members of FRGs and people who aren't even members of specific A-League teams. Yep. So, um, you know, we try to keep that dialogue there. The difference being, obviously, that, as you said at the start, um, groups like FRGs are, are essentially you know, run and... and uh, administered by the ATL as Mm -hmm. opposed to us being uh, completely independent. So while there are some crossovers there, we're also looking to not only be independent of those groups, but uh, represent uh, all the football fans of of any uh, level of football, whether Mm -hmm. that be the A-Leagues or or everything else. And uh, and do you feel that the, the governing bodies are listening to the voices of the fans? Look, I think they are listening to the voices of the fans. Whether they're listening and acting is probably the next question. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, we've definitely seen, I mean, I think you know, the grand final decision reversal uh, is an example of where they're yeah. definitely listening. Um, you know, that would not, they would not have changed that if there wasn't, you know, the uproar from both fans and media. So they're definitely listening. But yeah. I think, you know, now's probably the step to not just listen, but to, to try to get you know more two-way communication and, and genuine two-way respect, I think is the next step. So and you can listen and, and change one decision, but you know moving forward, it's about how we can you know, ensure that fan voices are represented, you know, before making some of these decisions, and that you know fan outcomes are really an, an important criteria in how these decisions are made. So, how do people find you as a body and? Are you still open to, to join as a member? Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, you know, 
absolutely. We uh, are open for anyone to join as a member. Membership is, is free. Um, and so, um, yeah, you can find us online, either on, on social media um, or visiting our website. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, membership free, find us online. And, um, yeah, just search uh, Football Supporters Association of Australia and you'll find our website and, and join up. Uh, for free. Um, We're then going to have our next round of, as I said, we started at the the start of last year, so our current committee positions are up uh, later this year, where we'll have an AGM and looking forward to hearing uh, from from all new members and and hopefully people getting involved on the committee. Marvellous. Thank you very much for your time, Matt. I'm sure we'll talk again at some stage. Brilliant. Thanks very much for the chat. Thank you. Okay, Matt Dawson, who is with the FSAA. If you want to join and be a member, please do. There's a link from our Facebook group right now, so there you go. You're the man, Pete. You are the man. <laughs> Best wingman ever. Um, no, look, I think it's important that the, the, the APL listen to the voice of the fans, and maybe if they had, and we talked about the Keep Up program before the show and, and what a debacle that's been, mm. you know, when we could have got some 15-year-old spotty-faced kid in the darkened down bedroom to do it for, all for a couple well, of feet for 24. Well, I don't know why you at me when you said that, but yeah. Oh, no, well, you've, you've got that geek look about you, Peter, you know. No, no, the geek will inherit the earth. That's yeah, what it says yeah, in the true. Bible. Uh, I was thinking the other thing is, obviously, if as an independent body, they might be a little bit more insulated um, when the APL does all their cost-cutting. Yeah. They decide, I don't know, with the fan rep, I don't know how much money they put into the FRGs anyway. None. Yeah, that's what I suspected. Yeah. But yeah. nevertheless, you know, a little bit more insulated if they yeah. decide that they can still save money by not putting none money into Well, the thing is, it hasn't cost them or the clubs anything. All, all I can say from my experience is that the Glory have been very supportive. Yeah. Um, they also don't have an awful lot of money to spread around and we're not in it for money. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we, we've got shirts that identify who we are at games we paid for them um glory do provides us a little bit of supper when we have a meeting mm-hmm. but we've also met in venues where we've had to buy our own dinner it's not about the money but yep. i i do know from my contact with the glory that they're very receptive to what the fans are telling them and we've done a couple of fan surveys which have really sort of directed the, the attention that we have on certainly pre-match and during match entertainment. And I think um, the last home game at halftime, we had the, the dancers out there. I did, yep. Yep. I, I also noted, and I, th- I thought this was strange at the time, they've got the things that shooting the, the fire up yep. in the air when, when a goal scored. And I'm yep. like, it's 35 degrees. I'm glad I'm not sitting right down the, the last front thing, where the last, well, thing blasting is, heat out at where, you. Where I was sitting in the southern stand, we're, we're just up in the, the row for the accessible seating. But um, even from there, you can feel the heat of those things. Yeah. Um, look, I get it. I, I don't know if that's... For me, that doesn't do anything for me. Um, yeah. But yeah, I... Uh, it was just an observation. It's not well, like a just huge some, criticism. Some of the things we're talking about, weird, though, is, you know, is like the hot, we, we talk about the, the Steve Armstrong <laughs> yeah. um, glory song. Yep. Um, whether whether or not that's had its day, or whether we should be pursuing and, and making that the same as "You'll Never Walk Alone" or "Bubbles" is synonymous with those mm-hmm. two clubs. Um, but you know, I think those are the sorts of things that we we need to be looking at. And and I know like. Man City use Blue Moon yep. and, and lots of other clubs have got songs that they now use as, as their club songs and it's just about do we find an absolute banger that we can all 
obviously out. I, I'm not sure who it is. I think it might be Western United have Wonderwall, so that's taken already, damn it. <laughs> but, you know, there's, there are some songs that we can have, and I think, you know, as much as Sweet Caroline is, is an absolute banger, it has too much association with the old Glory and, and Sagey, so mm-hmm. I think there's an appetite not to have that. Yeah. But, you know, to find something... And and open to suggestions, but you know, yeah, surely no. Barbie girls Rose, out, mate. I've told Rose, you, I've told you a dozen times. Barbie girls out. No, Rose to two, <laughs> bound for glory. Seems seems like yeah, a gimme. Absolutely. Now look, and we're going to do that. All right, we're going to go to a break, and we'll be back with Dean Bell from Wanneroo. Oswest Fencing and Rotine is a fourth-generation family business. Ring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Hi, I'm Peter Skeeler. Everyone seems to think I'm the ultimate wingman and full of helpful information. It's true, I am. My passion is trivia and Australian football statistics. Check out aleaguestats.com, my website where you can follow all the stats and results from the men's and women's A-leagues from the beginning of time, or at least 2005 and 2008 respectively. You're listening into the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle, and we appreciate you tuning in. Okay. 107.9 FM, your local station. All right, we're back in the room, and one of the, the advantages of having someone that can read Croatian text messages is we're going to break some news very shortly. Um, Robbie? Oh, yeah, Joe Skoko's son, Noah Skoko, has just uh, signed in um, for Haydook Split for, for four years till 2028. And, um, Good on him. Yeah, so I just saw that breaking, and, um, yeah, so he'd be sort of following his dad's footsteps. And when the actual Croatian um, Soccer Federation came over to run their camps, they were saying he's a very similar player to dad. He plays currently as a number 10, but they think he'll be a, a six or an eight yep. as, as he gets older, just like yeah. his dad. His passing range is amazing, keeps the ball really well. So, um, yeah, good signs for the future there. Yeah. Well, is, is that good signs for, for Croatia or for Australia? Is he, get, is he oh, going to pull like, on the golden yeah, so green he, or is he going to pull on the red? Croatian under-17s, under-19s, because yeah. um, he wasn't picked for Australia. So, um, yeah, so he went, they went to he's Croatia. He's one slipped under Arnie's radar. Yeah. <laughs> Arnie, if you're listening, it's not yeah, too late, son. Yeah, it's not too late. You can still pick him, you know. So yeah. um, it would be great to have him on board. And I think, you know, Joe would prefer him to play for Australia, being yeah. playing for Australia as well, his dad. so. Mm. But no, um, absolutely. that's good news, mate. No, great yeah. news. Look, it's always good to hear of a, an Aussie boy doing well. Yep. 
and from um, from a regional pl- yeah. out of Geelong. Absolutely, so, yeah. Um, and Joseph Skoko, great player in his own right, and just nice to see that his boys head in the same direction. Yeah, that's so it. that's always good. Um, someone else who likes to, to a club in red and has a boy who likes to play for clubs in red um, <laughs> is our next our next guest, <laughs> Dean Bell with Wanneroo, um, the president of Wanneroo for some time now. Uh, good morning, Dean. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, how is Wanneroo going? I do, one of the things I noticed this morning when I was just having a quick look through, um, been in the State League since 1963 in one way or another. Yeah, yes, it's been a while. I haven't been there that long, it, it, although it does feel like it at, that, at the time. So. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's uh, impre- an impressive record, mate, and I think it's one of the ones that we don't you know, see or, or celebrate too much. But since 1963, that's, that's, a, that's a good, you know, 61 years, mate. Yeah, well, I mean, it's our 50th year um, in our current uh, yep. um, system. So, yeah, it's our 50th season this season. So we, we're going to do something to celebrate that. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's been around for a while in varying forms, the club. Um, yeah, there was per- a few different mergers through the years or uh, different name changes. We'll per, Wanneroo, per British City, Wanneroo British from 89 to 85, I think. But, you know, there's yeah, yeah there's lots of um, machinations. But the club itself operating out of that venue has been in the State League since 63, and I think that's a, a record well worth celebrating. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, no, look, I mean, we do have the British heritage, but um, like most clubs these days, we have a very um, broad range of nationalities, Um and given the area we're in, there is definitely a, a, a large range of nationalities, and you know we welcome all of the club. We're very inclusive. Mm. Um, we've actually uh, expanded into to girls football this year. We've been trying for a number of years to get girls teams, but uh, uh, on current figures, it looks like we're definitely going to have four, maybe five teams across the junior uh, girls leagues this year. So. Wow. Yeah, just um, talking expansion. talking earlier with Peter Rickers, who's involved in the the um, girls football um, celebration they've got happening at Fremantle Oval. And mm. there's a massive, massive upswing in registration of girls for that competition. And now you're saying that Wanneroo, you've experienced the Sam Kerr effect there as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, we've experienced a big um, influx across the board. We're probably up 25 30% um, junior membership on last year. Uh, and last year we grew uh, 15 to 20% last year in, in junior membership. So over the last couple of years, we've really, you know, kicked in there with the junior membership. Although, you know, we've had put a lot of effort into it and we've got a big focus on the juniors um, because, you know, they're your next lot of uh, senior players. So, you know, you've got to start doing it. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, the, the more kids playing football, the less kids there are hanging around skate parks and the streets. So, you know, there's, there is a lot to be learned from being part of a team. Um, and, you, and the other thing is, and I think, you know, um, the, the, one of the things we've had with the MPL product is this um, focus on the professional football pathway. And as someone like Robbie who's been through it can tell you, there's very few players that actually transition from being seven-year-old playing for fun to being a professional footballer. And the majority of people should be focusing on playing football for fun. 
And I know when oh, I absolutely. when I was a junior coach, the emphasis for the sevens, eights, nines, and tens was really really just about playing for the sake of playing and learning to yeah. love the game. And I think now with the NPL, and I've seen some clubs that have elite under eights, is this elite pathway? And if you don't make it, you're gone. Mm. And there's a lot of kids mm. at 15, 16 who trial for an NPL club, don't make it, and then go, all right, I'm going to go and get a bag of glue and sit outside the sh- the, no. the betting shop for a while, you know? Because no, yeah. they haven't made it. No, and yeah, it's, there's yeah. too much emphasis on making it as a professional, whereas this should be... I play purely for fun. I mean, I'm I'm in my mid sixties, and I still play football for fun because I love it. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, look, I mean, you make lifelong friendships through sport. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the code is, no. you know. And you know, we we lose um, we lose sight of that. And I mean, something we don't do at the club is we don't grade or do trials for any of the small sided competitions. We, Nor should we, you? Well, hmm. You know, and I don't yeah, exactly. You don't. I don't believe you should. You know, I mean, the kids there are there to learn the game understand the game, be in a team environment, understand how to work with each other. You know, it shouldn't be about results-driven or, you know, a professional pathway at that age. Those kids that are naturally gifted, they'll progress equally as well coming in at, you know, a 10, 11, But they also old. bring on those other kids that aren't so naturally gifted. Oh, 100%. So, you know, yeah. and, and as long as the kid learns to love the game, they'll, they'll do whatever. And those that are better at it and, you know, are, thinking about seven-year-old Dino Gilbert who had a, a huge desire to be a, a professional footballer will do whatever he can to make that happen. Um, yeah. But, you know, a seven-year-old Sean Kelly is just playing for fun. So I think it's, you know, it's how it should be. And then as I progressed through, representing club sides first teams became the pinnacle for me and playing first team um, in a state league was, you know, I think it was Division 4, but, you know, playing first team, I mean, that was as good as I ever got. And you know what? That's good enough. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you just want to strive to be the best person you can be mm. and everything else is cream on top of that. Absolutely. Dean, Robbie Gasper here, mate. Um, love Wateroo British playing down at the sort of yeah. Wateroo ground. It's an yeah. awesome little venue and it's great to hear that you're sort of seeing a massive sort of like growth in the in the junior pathways as well. And um, yeah, just I think it's awesome work. Um, how's the first oh. thing looking for this year as well? Sorry? How's the first team looking as well for this year? Oh, look, I, I think it's, it's promising. Um, we've got a lot of depth in the roster, so that's what we ran out of last year. Um, with depth through, you know, you get injuries and boys taking holidays in the season, which, you know, it, it grinds you. But, you know, that's the life we live post-COVID. People want to make the most of what they're doing now. So, yeah. um, But, look, I think we've got a lot more depth this year. Um, I've got a great coaching staff. Um, Howard Tweets, my head coach, is great in, you know, not just developing players, but developing a coaching staff and systems. So, you know, we're not looking for next year. We're looking for 10 years down the track. So mm. I think if you lift your head up and look down the, the path a little further, it makes it easier making decisions. So, you know, that's something we're trying to do, yeah. um, something we've been trying to do for a lot of years. So it's uh, pieces are finally dropping into place now. Yeah, I look at the, at the state side have been around for an awful long time, as we've said. Um, but you've also got amateur teams. Do you have uh, women's teams playing for you yep. yet? Yeah, yep. So yep. you, you yeah, so have women's we, teams? Yeah, we've had women's teams over yep. the years. We've still got um, yep. a current team at the moment. Uh, we'll probably expand to two uh, mm. women's teams this year. I mean, we had four at one point, but yep. um, and this is not a sexist comment, but sometimes women's football can be a bit fickle. Um, yeah. The girls migrate quite uh, quite regularly, um, but you know that, that is what it is. Um, yeah. You just deal with it. Um, you know, if you 
you've made a mistake, you correct it, and you, you start again. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, but, you know, look, we've got... And you've got uh, masters. Senior-wise, we've got the amateurs. Yeah. Uh, we've got Metro men's, we've got Metro women's, or what they what do they call it these days, because I know there's yeah. a bit of a restructure of women's football. I'm still trying to catch up with that. <laughs> um, then we've got um, 35, 45, 55s, walking football. Mm. Um, we pretty much cater for everybody at... Uh, from you know five years old to you know sixty five seventy five. How, how old? How old is Derek? Uh, Derek is, and I don't quote me on this, but I think he's eighty two. Yeah, so you, so you cater, cater for everyone through from say like three or four right the way up to eighty two currently, which is fantastic. Both genders, um, walking football. Um, I would be right in saying that you know. You're one of a handful of clubs that are leading the way within that, and you've got a, a competition oh, look, coming think, up in to be March. Honest, yeah, yeah, I think look, we were one of the first to jump on board with walking football, and mm-hmm. and that was championed by one of our longtime members and life member, Dave Udy. Yeah. Um, you know, he got on board with that and really championed it, and um, you know, we we got the ball rolling earlier, and it's just grown from there. So. I mean, pretty much every Wednesday night we've got two games running with, you know, I think it's about up to about nine a side now. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it's more... With walking football, obviously it's a social aspect, so they all come in and, you know, have a sherbet after the game. But this connection yeah. is, I mean, for me, and I, look, I play walking at, uh, walking football at Ashfield on a Monday night. We have similar numbers and, and a similar sort of approach to it. Mm, and mm. it's all-inclusive. We, we have a mixed competition on a Monday. But for me, number one, I'm playing a sport I love. Number two, I'm ha- interacting, social, socially connected with people who love the game. And yeah, who doesn't like a sherbet after a game? So there's, there's so much going on for, for my physical health, my mental health, my emotional health. Um, yeah, it's all 100%. covered, and and but that's not just. I mean, as for me as a, an older man playing walking football, but you know, apart from the sherbets, it's the same for the seven year old playing in your your juniors. So I think it's it's important that we don't lose sight of what the game is, and all of those people who are playing across all avenues, even the state side. Um, you know, um, if you've got anyone in your Division Two side who thinks they're playing for Australia in the next year or two, tell them they're deluded. But they're playing for the fun of it. Mm. And, oh, 100%. And if they, even if they are getting a small bit of boot money back, it's not a profession. It's purely fun. Come on, we know under FIFA, you forgive them a dollar, they're a professional. We know that. Come yeah, on. yeah, I know that. Go, <laughs> you, you, know, you know my thoughts on this, Dean. There is no such thing as a semi-professional. It's like being pregnant. Either you are yeah. or you're not. It's simple. Yeah, yeah some people All struggle right. with that concept. But no, look... As said, a club. Right, I'm going to put my can opener away now. I'm not going to open that can up. No, no, <laughs> that's fine. Look, um, you know I would debate it all day with you. But the thing is, um, the club itself operates as a, a, and we are talking to East Perth earlier, it's a community hub. And oh, 100%. You're yeah, we, we are very much community focused. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, you've got to put the game first. And, you know, from our point of view, we the game's first, club second, you know. Um, you know, if we can put the game first and, and live up to the values of the game, then we've had a win, uh, and the club will grow from that. So, you know, oh, no. it's, it's, it's just getting your values right. And, uh, you know, I think overall, I mean, I'm probably a bit biased because I'm, <laughs> I'm in the club. But, you know, look, we've got I think we've got the balance right, you know. Yes. So, so our yeah. job as a game, you know, like I think it's how do we keep that seven-year-old in the game right up until he's 82? 
Yeah. You know, just you make him you make it. him love it when he's yeah, seven. It, you know, so he's yeah. always involved in a game, regardless. Yeah. So um, that's our job, and just to keep involved in a game as long as possible because they're going to be the fans. Yeah. They're going to be the ones going to watch the glory. Or but the resilience club, so. that got you through your career, because I'm absolutely certain you've had your, your dark and hard days, is that the love of the game is what drives you on. If you're there purely because you want to be a professional and the moment that door's shut, you give it away, then you don't love it. If, you, if you're there and you go, oh, look, I want X amount of dollars a week and the club goes, no, look, we can only give you $5 less than that, and you go, oh, I'm out, then you don't love the game. Mm. It's... Yeah. Oh, look, 100%. You know, look, yeah. I mean, I know guys want to, you know, pocket some money and, and make the most of it. You know, back when I played, I mean, I grew up on the, the uh, oval-shaped ball, but, you know, I mean, we used to play for beers. Mm. You know, like, and, you know, whether that be right or wrong these days, but, you know, back then it wasn't about putting anything in your, in your pocket. It was about, you know, being at the club and enjoying the company of the guys. Yeah. No, look, I remember, the, I remember the first day I was ever given an envelope with money in it for playing football. I couldn't believe it. I thought I'd won the pools. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think you know, Luke Longley said it when he signed for um, for the Chicago Bulls that he could not believe he'd been paid a phenomenal amount of money to play a game that he would play for nothing. And I think that's the right attitude. And I think, you know, um, professional players who don't appreciate how lucky they are to be, to be making a living out of a game they love um, yeah, it's it's to me it's it's important that clubs like Wanneroo exist, and and not just Wanneroo. There's um, myriads of clubs across this state that have the focus on being fun, and I think you know yeah. the, the changes that are coming in on the NPL next year. I just hope that whatever we have replaces it. Remembers that for those young children, the focus has got to be on number one, enjoying the game; number two, improving your skills, and in that order. And then, you know, when you get to 12 or 13, then you're old enough emotionally to understand winning, losing, playing in leagues and ladders and understand where you fit within that ecosystem. But as long as you still love it, you could be the worst player in the worst team in the league and you can still turn up and enjoy yourself. And that's really what it's about. Yeah, yeah I know, exactly. I mean, mm. yeah, I mean, my boy's like that. He, uh, he, he loves, loves his game. I mean... I mean, I wouldn't say he's playing at one of the greatest clubs in the world, but, you know, <laughs> he enjoys it out there. Yeah, but he loves life as well. So, you know, he's, he's a character, and that's why we like him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, he's a, he's a bit of a chip off the old block, so... <laughs> yeah, well, that's... The... <laughs> That's not He's a bad the thing. And the worst of me. That's not a bad thing, Dean. You're a decent guy, <laughs> uh, and I think this is this is where we should be, you know. And look, I know for two ninety-minute sections of this season, I'm going to hate you, but you know, outside of that, we all we all get on and we all do what we you know we all oh. progress the game, well, and that's what it's about. Oh, look, it's the, the only game I win is when um, if even if I lose, I win. Is when one replays Ashfield. If Wannery win, I win. Yeah. If Ashfield win, I win because my son's in Ashfield. So <laughs> it's, it's a win both ways. So <laughs> You know the game's going to finish as a draw now that you've said that. And he still, well, actually, he still the first wins. time it happened, it did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, look, it, it's just interesting, Dean. I mean, you, you've got a very stable club. Your, your presidency has been a, a few years now. Yeah, um, ten, ten, ten now and um, six as a junior president before that. So, so, so the question, please. the question for me is, and, and ten years as a co- uh, as a president in any club is phenomenal. Is how do you um, progress from that? Because people start to rely on you because Dean's always done this. Or are you building oh, no, up look, some resilience? Uh, and I've I've been uh, delegating jobs off for a lot of. Uh, years now to try and um, 
you know, bring people into the game. And, you know, I've got a great VP. Um, I've got an excellent um, junior coordinator. Um, I've got a brilliant secretary. So, you know, um, I've got life members that are, I sit on the committee as just a general committee person. So, you know, there's enough people engaged in the club and that's why the club is great because, mm. you know, there's a lot of people with vested interest. You know, that said, I mean, every club wants more volunteers, you know, mm. and, you, you know, you will find me grinding my myself, you know, into the ground around the club doing bits and pieces, but that's that's what I like to do. Um, you know, the, the the overall presidency stuff is... Is not in my wheelhouse. I don't. I don't enjoy. Um, you know, trying to chase up sponsors and you know mingle with politicians and councillors and mm. that. I don't. That's not exactly something I love doing. But you know, it's something you have to do to to grow your club. You know, you you, you have to um, engage with you know council and, you have and to engage, engage with fo- local football members. West and and. Um, talking to Football West, how are you going on now with, with all the compliance issues, having to have the players register for the night series is not something we've had oh, to do before. Um, but yeah. people complain that, you know, Football West don't run the game and then start complaining the moment they do. So, Well, look, I mean, it, it, I, I've been on the standing committee on and off for a number of years. I'm not on it currently. Um, I'm, you know, taking mm. a break and trying to spend some more time with my wife. Um, but, you know, look, um, I, I think... Everyone's aware of what the rules are. You know, you need to educate yourself. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, the rules come out. Go and read them. Educate yourself and then make the best decision you can. I mean, I'm a mug and, you know, I can understand the concept with pro contracts and, you know, reg- registration windows and, you know, team rosters and the whole lot. I mean, yeah. if, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Like, it's not rocket science. You know, it just... It, if you, And if you don't understand something, give the guys at Football West a call. They're quite happy to talk you through stuff. I mean... Yeah. I, I, look, I, I, I get sometimes we all want to bash Football West, but at the end of the day, they're trying to do a job. And, you know, it's easy to criticise. It's hard to help. So yep. I've always worked on the side that, you know, you get involved, you help. Absolutely. You know, yeah. you be know, I be mean, part look, of the solution, as, as not part as, of the problem, yeah. Yeah, I look, as much as, you know, decisions aren't what I would call brilliant at times, they've made them. So mm. you work with it, you yeah. know. I mean, like... Decisions that happen at club level, at committee meetings, you know, you might get a majority vote on something. You may not agree with it, but you've got to support it. Absolutely. And this is the message, you know, you've, you've got to do. As a football community, we might not agree with it, but we support it until such time as our voice is heard and a, a change is made. Hmm. You know, you can't, if we keep going out and having a crack at people, it, it shifts the focus from the game onto something that's, you know, really not relevant. Yeah, no, totally agree with you, mate. Now, look, great to have you on. Great to hear that the club's in a, in a healthy condition and that the, the Sam Kerr effect is certainly still influencing um, girls' football because, obviously, this is where the next Sammy's going to come from. Um, so thank you for what you do, what your team out there do, and for being part of football. Uh, no, no, it's it's, uh, it's great to be involved with football. You know, I've, I've grown up on many different sports during my uh, life, and, you know, it doesn't matter what sport you're into, just get involved with the club. You know, that's that's the number one. Because people don't get involved with clubs, clubs won't exist. And, and whilst you're at it, volunteer an hour or so. That's all it takes. Exactly. Right, and uh, if anyone's got some free time this evening, free entry down at Wanneroo, come down and watch some State League football. Brilliant. Nice. Cheers, mate. All right. Have a great day, guys. You too. Cheers. See ya.
All right. Uh, Dean Bell out of Wanneroo, team out there doing wonderful things, involved in a number of avenues of football, which is really good on them. All right, we're coming to the end of our show. Robbie, thank you very much for being on. Great to have your company and and breaking uh, news as well. So, yeah, (laughs) honestly... uh, an absolute asset, Pete. Yeah, you've done a pretty bang average job for the best wingman ever. But yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> no, your bang average is everyone's else best. So you know, that's I'll take that. Um, and yes, I did describe your career in one sentence. Yeah, didn't exactly. I? Yeah, yeah. yeah, the worst player in the worst team. <laughs> I I think literally that's true because there was one season where I was mostly playing off the bench for the reserve side that finished bottom of amateur fifth division yeah. back in uh, about 2005 or so, 2006. Was that the year you got the big splinter as a trophy? <laughs> I've never received any trophies, mate. Oh, dearie me. I'll, I'll bring one in for you next time. I've got a spare at home. I've got heaps of them. More than you know what to do with. <laughs> exactly. All right, thank you out there for listening. The show will be back next week with a think penny or maybe you but anyway we'll be uh, back it's you and me tomorrow uh next week not me no i'm not i've just done two weeks in a row me and you no penny all right see ya <laughs>